This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome to the final episode of The Undaunted Women of Nanking. There is no tidy endpoint for the story of Jinling College and its inhabitants. The campus remained a center for protection and rebuilding efforts until June 1942, when the Japanese military took over and Sen was forced to leave. Votrin's diary continues until 1940, but Sen's ends without ceremony on March 1, 1938. We heard this entry in our last episode. Now we use biographical material to continue the stories of both women. In spring 1938, Minnie instituted a six-month term of secondary education and homecraft industrial courses for the girls still at Jinling. We'll pick up her story at the conclusion of this term with a passage from the book American Goddess at the Rape of Nanking. In the summer of 1939, the United Christian Missionary Society, with which Minnie was now affiliated, formerly the Foreign Christian Missionary Society, wanted her to return to the States to assume its vice presidency. The Society was a board of missions and education sponsored by the Disciples of Christ. In May of the previous year, Jinling's executive committee in New York had asked her to work there. She turned down both of the offers because she felt Jinling's Nanking campus needed her and because she was determined to help the suffering Chinese under the ruthless Japanese rule. She would rather stay in Nanking to endure miserable living conditions and receive only half of her previous salary than return to the States to assume a high-paying and prestigious position. However, People who worked with her all agreed that she had labored too hard and was far too busy and that she should take a long vacation and rest. Members of the Jinling Committee in New York wrote to persuade her to take her long postponed furlough, as did Dr. Alexander Paul, the Executive Secretary of the United Christian Missionary Society, who urged her in the summer of 1939 to take one year off when he visited Jinling and saw her looking tired and haggard. He even discussed the matter with Dr. Wu, who also agreed that Minnie should return to the States to rest. But Minnie was adamant with both Paul and Wu. She replied that under the circumstances, it was utterly impossible for her to think of returning home at that time. Although Minnie refused to return to the States for furlough or to take a rest, she often felt, as early as the winter of 1938, exhausted and depleted of her energy. She frequently wrote in her diary about how tired she was. I'm too tired tonight to write more, October 16th. I'm dead tired tonight, much depression and a feeling of helplessness. And I must confess that I am tired, October 20th, 21st, and 28th. Exhausted tonight, and I was dead tired, March 8th and 27th, 1939. I wish the spring holiday was just beginning, for I am tired. April 29th, 
too tired to think, have a beastly temper, June 30th, am dead tired tonight and just now do not see how I can get through week, December 11th. My mind tonight is dead tired, February 23rd, 1940. Almost three weeks have passed since I have written one line in diary. The reasons have not been just one but many. Physical exhaustion, the main one, March 22nd. After the Japanese surrender in 1945, Sen led the efforts to reclaim and rehabilitate Jinling's campus, where she stayed until 1952, when it became a branch of Nanking Normal University, and she retired to her native Wuchang province. She lived there until 1969, when she died at the age of 94. Minnie's Nanking diary was public knowledge during her lifetime, and she made mostly unsuccessful efforts to have it published in American venues after her return from China. Sen's diary is a different matter. She submitted written testimony to the International Military Tribunal for the Far East in 1946 to be used in the Tokyo War Crimes trial, but she kept her diary a secret. It was rediscovered in handwritten form by archival researchers in 2001. The name on the cover, Chen Pin Chi, was a fake one. It belonged to a Jinling professor who is known to have left Nanking with a group of Jinling students just before the arrival of the Japanese. Sen Shuifan's true identity was only revealed via clues in the diary's text, such as mentions of her teenage grandson and her nursing duties, as well as corroboration by the mentions of her in Votrin's diary. Eventually, Shuifan's grandson, then in his 80s, confirmed that her handwriting matched the writing in the diary. He remembered seeing his grandmother writing with a fountain pen in her room at night, but he hadn't known that what she'd written was a diary. The diary of Sen Shuifan was published for the first time in 2004, in Chinese, under her rightful name. When Minnie felt exhausted and without energy, Jinling's administrative problems and disputes between staff members taxed her mind even more. She worried that she could not raise enough money to meet Jinling's expenditures, and that the puppet Nanking Chinese government would force Jinling to register. Government officials had already ordered Jinling to register. If Jinling complied, the college would have to follow the government's regulations regarding foreign schools and use its textbooks. Then many of Jinling's projects could not be carried on. Therefore, Minnie repeatedly postponed complying with the government's order. Although she often reminded herself, be sure you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm, she did not know how long she could delay registering with the government, which often sent officials to Jinling to investigate. Also, two of Minnie's Chinese staff were at odds with each other. No matter how hard she tried to settle the disputes between these two, neither one wanted to give in even one inch for fear of losing face. Since both of them were Minnie's most capable assistants and she needed them to carry on administrative work, she was so troubled and saddened by the matter that sometimes she could not eat. She wrote in her diary on January 31st, 1940, 
Again and again, I come to the conclusion that personality problems are the most difficult ones we face in this land. Differences of viewpoint over trivial matters where neither side will give in because of losing face. If we have such problems in our little Christian group, what must they be in the central government? My respect goes out anew to General Chiang Kai-shek. In March 1940, the members of Jinling's committee in New York persistently tried to persuade me to take a one-year vacation in the States. They enthusiastically planned the details of her furlough. In addition to providing Minnie with her regular salary and expenses during furlough, they began to raise extra money from outsiders for her personal use to reward her distinguished and courageous service during the Nanking Massacre. In the meantime, the people at Minnie's birthplace, Secor, Illinois, were planning a large-scale Minnie Votrin Day to welcome her home expressing their respect to her for protecting more than 10,000 Chinese women from the Japanese soldiers. Only then was Minnie eventually convinced that she should take a year's furlough at the beginning of the coming fall semester because she realized she was too exhausted to continue her work for another year at Jinling. Her temper was getting worse and worse. She often fought with Mrs. Thurston, the former Jinling president, who had returned to Nanking to handle Jinling's treasury since June 1938. She always blamed her short temper and tiredness as the culprit, as she wrote in her diary on March 2, 1940. Miss Thurston and I have had several quarrels this week, which always leaves me a weak feeling. I admit my temper is quick these days, and I am tired. Votrin was increasingly frantic in the spring of 1940 and worried that the staff at Jinling would be unable to take leadership roles or continue her homecraft industrial and education courses during her furlough. Eventually, on May 2nd, she called Mrs. Sen, Mrs. Thurston, and another American teacher into her office. Votrin told them that she had failed that she was responsible for all of Jinling's problems, and that she could not continue. A doctor prescribed her hormone therapy, which she refused after one treatment. She begged to stay in Nanking for the summer to ensure that her programs would continue, but she eventually agreed to leave China and enter the psychopathic hospital of the State University of Iowa where she was diagnosed as an involuntary depressive. Minnie's condition in the next several months was unpredictable. In positive moments, she contemplated returning to Nanking. In September, she was allowed to travel to Marfa, Texas, to stay with friends as she recovered. But by January, she was openly at risk of suicide, and she was driven back to Indianapolis to undergo more treatment. Again, she began to improve, and her doctors allowed her to begin light administrative work for her missionary causes. On April 3, 1941, in her letter to Mrs. McMillan, Minnie optimistically predicted that in the near future, she would again be able to serve Jinling. Three days later, she wrote to Rebecca Grist to ask her dear friend to continuously pray that she might have patience, faith, and courage. In the letter, she also recalled the many beautiful Easter services held on the Jinling campus in the past, especially that wonderful week in our refugee camp 
in April 1938. She continued, It is difficult for me to enter into the hustling, busy activities in America. I'm sorry that I am not able to help in the 25th anniversary campaigns for Jinling, but I take joy hearing what the rest of you are doing. Later, on April 21st, when she wrote to Mrs. Albert Foster of Jinling's committee in New York, Minnie suggested using six enlarged pictures of Jinling and a small number of folders to help raise funds for the college's 25th anniversary at the International Convention of the Disciples of Christ to be held in the first week of the coming May. She also requested her name be placed on the mailing list to receive news of Jinling and said, at the end of the letter, it has been a long time since I felt like helping, for which I am genuinely sad. Through the years I have loved Jinling so much and have tried to help her. On April 25th, after receiving a box of her things sent by Rebecca Grist, Minnie wrote to her, saying, I cannot tell you what feelings I have when I see the things you sent. It seems a century since last I saw them, and some of them go back a good many years. But she also expressed that it was difficult for her to handle her old belongings, so she asked Rebecca not to send any more of them for the time being. Both Dr. Carter and one other physician who had treated Minnie felt that she was definitely improving. During the first week of May, Minnie attended the International Convention and evidently enjoyed it. She even spoke a word on behalf of Jin Ling before the entire convention. But, unexpectedly, on May 14, 1941, Minnie, while alone in the apartment of Miss Guinevere Brown, a secretary of the United Christian Missionary Society, ended her life by opening a gas jet of the kitchen stove. She left a note saying that she was confident she would never recover and that she would rather die than become insane. She also stated that she believed her life was a failure. On May 15th, Mr. C.M. Yoakum, the Executive Secretary of the United Christian Missionary Society, in a letter to Dear Friends of Minnie Votrin to announce her death, said, lamentingly, We feel that Miss Votrin was truly a casualty of war as any soldier who had fallen on the battlefield. Minnie was 55 years old at the time of death. In her lifetime, she devoted 28 years to serving the Chinese people. It was said that shortly before she died, she told her friends that if she could live twice, she would still want to serve the Chinese people. China was her home. This has been The Undaunted Women of Nanking. James Nash, whose voice you've heard throughout this episode, has been my partner in producing this show. Our voice actor for Minnie Votrin is Brittany Cordera. Our voice actor for Sen Shui Fan is Guicho Wong. My name is Kyle Stolzenberg. Thanks for listening.